welcome to Life Lessons in 35mm, a podcast that delves into the life lessons from the silver screen. School might have taught us about history, sciences and maths, but John McLean taught us about how to be cool. Neo taught us the value of free will and the responsibility in making our own choices. Back to the Future taught us our future hasn't been written yet. Our future is whatever we make it. And Pretty Woman taught us that you should never judge a book by its cover. We'll talk about all sorts. Love, family, heroes. Storytelling, friendship, dogs. <laughs> Wait, dogs? Yeah, yeah. There's an episode about dogs. I figured that people sometimes might want something a little more light-hearted. And besides, who doesn't love dogs, right? No, that's fair. So, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, thanks for joining us. So welcome to the Life Lessons in 35mm podcast um, and we're here as always with Nicholas Long. How you doing Nick? I'm good thanks Andrew, how are you? Very good uh, and and me obviously Andrew Hewitson um, but today is a bit of a special one because we've got a guest on the show and that is Miku. Hi. Hi, Hi Miku. Hi. <laughs> so um, a lot of people people well, no one will know this, so so I'll just set you up. So Miku is a Japanese teacher from Miku Real Japanese. So she's got a YouTube and Instagram. She's on, on all of your socials and she teaches Japanese to the masses. And um, she's, a, she's a big friend of the family. She's going to be helping us out on this on today's podcast. Yes. So if some of you are learning Japanese... Please feel free to check it out. Check out my YouTube channel. <laughs> I'm just promoting myself here. <laughs> no, 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 no. So, so the whole point of getting you on the podcast is um, so we can um, promote our podcast for you. <laughs> so hopefully we'll get all of your Japanese learners and um, and then we'll have more than um, just the five people listening to this podcast. Yes. And thank you so not, much. Not that our mums aren't important though, obviously. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, of course. My my mum and Nick's mum, there are only listens, pretty much. And Miku, actually. Miku um, listens to the podcast, do you know? Yeah, I loved your podcast. Like, the first episode, after I listened to it, I messaged Andrew. Like, I loved it. And I can really feel the passion you guys have for films. Like, it's not like you guys are just talking about films. Like, I can feel that you're so passionate about it and you care about the details and so I'm so happy to be here on your podcast today thank you for inviting me oh thank you that's really nice do you know I actually I had a I had a really nice message from my old boss yesterday um my my job my previous job I used to work at a company called Nielsen and uh yesterday I got um, I got a message from my old um boss Scott who's actually uh, a Kiwi um lived in the UK for a long time though and he sent me a message to say he'd been listening to the Terminator 2 podcast and really enjoyed it so if you're listening, Scott, thank you very much. Always, always glad to hear we've got a listener. So, yeah, and thank you, Miku, for being uh, for listening and and you know taking the time to listen to us waffle on. It's it's cute that we're doing we're doing like personal um, shout outs to people now, <laughs> just like individual <laughs> listeners. <laughs> um, so uh, obviously, yeah, Miku is going to be on the episode today, and she's um, going to be talking about. Well, this is this is Miku's choice of film, and it's a film called Departures. I'll give um, a little bit of a synopsis of the film, and we can start talking about it. So, 
Departures is a 2008 Japanese drama film directed by Yojiro Takita. Have I said the correct? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Um, and starring, oh my god, more Japanese names. And starring Mashiro Motoki, Ryoko Hirosue, and Tsutomu Yamazaki. I, th- I think you should go through the whole cast, to be honest. <laughs> I mean, let's not do that. Um, the, the film follows a young man who returns to his hometown after a failed career as a cellist and stumbles across work as a nokanshi, a traditional Japanese ritual mortician. He is subjected to prejudice from those around him, including from his wife, because of a strong social taboos against people who deal with death. Eventually, he repairs these interpersonal connections through the beauty and dignity of his work. So um, I think before we start speaking about it, because I've watched this film before. I remember um, watching it probably about six years ago. It was just before I went on a, a long trip to Japan and I was kind of getting myself psyched up to go to Japan. So I was um, watching as many Japanese films as possible. Also trying to learn Japanese, which is interesting because that's actually when I met Miku for the first time. Because at that time, Miku was trying to learn English. And when I say learn English, perfect English, because we, we met on a language exchange site. And so I wanted to exchange uh, my English skills, uh, if any skills actually exist, for her Japanese skills. And I remember preparing for this. I was I was so nervous. It's probably one of the most nerve wracking moments of my life. I was preparing, you know, um, you know how to say my name, like, watashi no name e wa Andrew Desu, you know, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and we we start the the call, and we ended up speaking for about an hour and a half in English. <laughs> We tried. We tried to speak in Japanese. We tried to have a conversation, right? Yeah, we we tried, but I was um, truly awful. And um, I, I could say now that we could probably have a little bit more of a conversation, but not much, not not that much more. <laughs> it's five years. <laughs> Very difficult language. Um, but yeah, I, I was um, preparing to go and go and go to Japan, and I watched this film and. Yeah, I was um, blown away by it. It actually won the Academy Award for Best Foreign Film and a lot of other awards around the world. And yeah, Nick, do, do you want to talk to me about what you thought about it? Because this was your first run through of the film. Yeah, well, I because I, I hadn't really heard of the film before. And then when I looked it up, obviously, um, first of all, glad they've changed it from Best Foreign Language Film to Best Film Not in the English Language. That feels much more appropriate. Um, but yeah, I I'd not heard of the film before, so obviously this suggestion came up, and I thought, okay, brilliant. I like I like seeing things for the first time, so um, I watched it yesterday for the first time because I thought I want to come into this like having watched it quite fresh, and I didn't really know what to expect. But I've seen, you know, I've not got a huge wealth of knowledge of Asian cinema, but I've seen a few Japanese films, uh, more probably a lot of animated ones as well. Um, so I didn't know what to expect, and I absolutely loved it. I was like. Probably about two or three times, I was crying like a baby. Um, it so it moved me so much, and I just got to the end of it, and I was like, and I was just like speechless. I was like, wow, that was that was amazing. Um, so yeah, I really, I really loved it, and uh, I'm quite surprised that I, I've not really heard more about it before because it's so so good. Um, 
and I just I can't wait to go and watch it again. Really, it was brilliant. So Miku, when was the first time you you saw this film yourself? I mean, I couldn't breathe, like the, until at first, like it was really interesting, and I learned a lot of a lot about Shintoism and Buddhism as well from that movie. And just seeing the ritual of Hunan and everything, but towards the end, I couldn't breathe. I like I was crying so much, like a baby, like he said. And I wanted to talk about this film on this podcast because not only it's not only because it's really beautiful, be- beautiful movie, but also it talks a lot about Japanese history and religion as well. So it would be so interesting to talk about and see what you guys think about it too. Yeah, no, I think um, just to introduce the title of today's podcast. So um, it's funny because Nick kept on asking me, what's the title of the co- podcast? What's the title of the podcast? I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but today's um, podcast is going to be how departures has has taught us how life and death are deeply connected. I'm glad uh, Miku saved me. <laughs> we can edit out the massive silence. <laughs> <laughs> Just silence and, and wide eyes from Andrew there. <laughs> Help! <laughs> Not the first time that uh, Miku has um, saved my life. Yeah, we're going to be talking about how um, departures... Um... Fucking hell. What? <laughs> <Is that> again? <laughs> I just said it. <laughs> Let me write it down. Hang on. <laughs> how how life and death are deeply connected. Is that correct? Mm-hmm. Yes, it's correct. Oh my lord! <laughs> this happens a lot, Miku. I know. This is this is practically the whole of the podcast. <laughs> yeah, the editing process is basically taking out silences and, and mistakes, isn't it? <laughs> and laughter. Me, and laughter. Me laugh, laughing and crying like a little little girl. So, yeah, so not only are we going to be talking about how the the main lesson there about life and death and how they're deeply connected, but, yeah, as Miku says, we're going to be going into a lot of cultural things and um, learning a little bit more about the Japanese culture, which is great because Japan's really fascinating and, and obviously me and Nick were, were from a very different land. Um, okay, so as I mentioned, this is my first time watching the film and, like, I think the first scene of the film is is quite striking because it kind of it straight away tells you what what the film's about so i wonder if like miku you want to start us off by just talking about what you kind of got when you first watched the film and how it kind of how that first scene struck you uh, and what and what your like journey through the film was um so you know when i started watching the movie i obviously knew that it was about death so i was prepared prepared to you know, the heavy kind of vibe. But in the first movie, when they were doing a ceremony, he goes like, there's, you know, I can feel the thing. And then the Shacho, the president says, what thing? That thing, you know, that the first thing was really, really shocking to me at first. Like, I thought... So, so just... um. Just to, to explain what Miku's um, talking about, that thing <laughs> that she's um, kind of scudding around. So in the first main scene in the movie, there's two norkanshi. And this is um, the job of um, someone who's kind of not a funeral director, but it's someone who prepares a body 
to prepare to show to the um, the family um, so they can have a funeral. And we, we start at a young, what we assume is a young lady's funeral. And the older of the, the two um, turns to the young, younger one and says, would you like to try? Would you like to try to do it? So we get the, the idea that this is um, the first time this young man is preparing the body for the funeral. And what Miku is referring to is he starts to clean the body and um, on the young lady and he reaches a certain point in the body and feels something that's not meant to be there. <laughs> Hence why it's quite quite amusing. So, so um, so, sorry for interrupting you. I thought I'd explain that because, you know, without visuals, <laughs> if you haven't seen the film. Yeah, 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 yeah. And then that he explained about no kanshi, and this movie's title is Okuribito in Japanese, and that literally means person who sends. So. No kanshi is someone who prepares the deceased to go to the the land of the bliss. So, like this funeral, uh, we do it with Buddhism style. So we have we're gonna go. In, I'm gonna go into that later. But we have two religions in Japan. We have Shintoisms and Buddhism. But um, when it comes to funeral and this ceremony, uh, we do it with Buddhism style. Buddhism style, and so he prepares. I love that Buddhism style. <laughs> it sounds so cool. <laughs> We're going Buddhism style. <laughs> <laughs> and then everything that he shows in the movie has a meaning. For example, he wipes uh, the deceased body, dead body, and it's not only for cleaning the body. But also to purify the soul before they go to the other side, and also, um, so you you could see that um, he was putting the kimono, the Japanese traditional clothes, on the deceased, but it has to be white because um, in Japan, red, the color red means the birth, and white means death. So they put um, white clothes on. Is it is it correct? Uh, certainly, this this is um, the case that I've I've read in my like um, in in books. I've read about you know J- Japanese novels that when someone's um, committing harakiri, um, which is um, ritual suicide, it's when um, like a samurai, for example, um, wants to kill himself, that he will wear a white white kimono, and um, when he commits harakiri, correct. Yes. Oh, that's so cool. And I think there's um, a scene in um, um, 47 Ronin um, with um, Keanu Reeves and he, he wears a white kimono. Mm. Sorry to interrupt. No, no, no. <laughs> I love the fact that you got that that from a, from a very Western film based on like <laughs> Japanese ideas and not an actual Japanese film. <laughs> yeah. But it's also in, in, in novels, but... Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, so they put uh, white clothes on the deceased, and after that, um, so they put makeup on the deceased, and that's, you know, because it's so shocking. It's too shocking for their family to see the pale face of the deceased. So 
Imagine my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) Bella just sees straight through you. (laughs) They're like, are are they going to put the makeup on? No, we've done it already. (laughs) What did he look like before? (laughs) (laughs) It's going to be too white. Um, So they put makeup on um, not only for female, but also for males as well. So in the first scene, um, the no kanshi was asking their family, is it going to be female makeup or ma- male makeup? You know, so they put that makeup so that they look alive and also it's not going to be too shocking for the family to see their face in the funeral. And then they didn't show it in the movie, but they actually, uh, first of all, they put water into the deceased mouth so that they don't get they don't get thirsty when they go to on the journey to go to the the land of the bliss as well so each movement has meaning and i i learned it from the movie when i first saw the movie because this ceremony is done um not not really normally they don't do this ceremony um at home they do a funeral company does it for us what we get to see is the dead body already in the coffin in the funeral. So usually, I don't know about uh, countryside, but nowadays we don't really do that ceremony at home. We ask the funeral company to do it, actually. But before, people used to do that at home. So a question then, because what I thought was really interesting um, about... Um, the kind of the the ceremony itself where, you know, the cleaning of the body and putting in the makeup and all and dressing them in, in the traditional kimono. Um, why? Because, again, to, to kind of think about this idea in like more westernised films. Now, personally, being from the UK, I have, I haven't been to many funerals, but whenever the ones I have been to, there's always been cremations. And we don't, I, I've never really come across the idea of like an open casket. But, you know, in kind of like Western films, there's this idea of open caskets. And I think a lot of the idea of like kind of uh, putting makeup on the on the deceased and kind of dressing them up is the idea because because, like you said, you don't want to have um, people seeing, you know, a, a dead body. You want to you want them to be seen as still looking their best. And that's how people remember them. What I thought was really interesting here is that the idea of putting the makeup on was not necessarily i think as you said it probably is because it's a bit shocking for people to see the dead body but also they reference the fact that it's to make them look at their most beautiful for the journey which i thought was really which i thought was really like sweet and really nice um it's this lovely way of kind of sending them off as they're in their most beautiful way so that they go into the next part of their journey you know to the land of the bliss through the gateway as they call it looking their best which is really lovely um but what i was going to ask is so the, the whole ceremony of like cleaning the body, putting the makeup on, everyone gets to say their farewells and putting them in the traditional dress. Does that normally happen with just the family? And then you would have a few and then you have a bigger funeral service where other people could come along and the body is already in the casket. Because the impression I got was that the, the ceremony itself is quite a private, intimate thing with just the loved ones. And then there, is there is there like another service where you have the person already in the coffin? And everyone, kind of everyone else comes and says their goodbyes. 
Is that how it would normally work? Yes, that's how it normally works. So I've never seen that ceremony in my life. Um, the no kanshi put in the deceased into the coffin. So usually um, we ask the company to do it and then we go to the funeral place and then they're already uh, with the makeup and then in kimono, in traditional clothes and looking beautiful. So I don't know, maybe in the countryside, they still do that ritual. And the movie itself, it was uh, based in the countryside as well. So I mean, I think depends on the region. And do you, because you said this is, um, this is like a more based around more Buddhist, like Buddhism kind of traditions and ways of doing things. So do you think is, is that in that case, do, is this a very Buddhist ceremony or would it be something that, that happens across the, the, the various religions in Japan? Um, actually, they had it in the Shintoism uh, style funeral as well. So before Buddhist, Buddhism came to Japan, we did it in the Shintoism way. But after China brought Shin, uh, Buddhism to Japan, we started doing that way as well. So, yes, it exists in Shintoism as well. Yeah, I mean, um, just to echo um, something that, that Nick said about um, the film, and just to kind of anchor it to the film as well, is um, it's, it's so beautiful, those, those scenes, this one specific scene and i think um we all remember it where sacho san and daigo arrive late to one of the um the funerals and there's a there's a man there who's who's really angry with them and you can tell like i think he's beautifully cast as well like because he's quite like a skinny kind of scrawny like um ill-tempered looking man and daigo he watches um sacho and prepare the body. I think this this is one of my favorite scenes because um, he he watches it and you can see just like the admiration he has for um, Setro San, and this is kind of key to the whole film. It's like, why would this guy be doing this job? Yes, it it pays pays him well, but he has to go through a lot of hardships um, to take on this role. So Daigo is watching Satro San um, work on this body. Um, with such um, compassion and care and he, he says in a, a voiceover um, <clears throat> now grown old but restored to beauty for all eternity this was done with a calmness a precision and above all affection at the final parting sending the dead on their way everything done peacefully and beautifully and I think this is just like highlighted perfectly when the, the husband of the deceased in this case the uh, the original man who chastises um, both Satro-san and um, Daigo originally he, he starts to break down in tears and you can see that at this point then he is connected with his wife before this um, this thing that is in front of him it's almost like an object and I, I think this is a really interesting um part about like the life and death thing it's like um right now i am andrew um you know you guys are nick and miku but once we are dead it's like we are dead we are a verb we turn from like a noun to a verb um or a state of being um it's almost like through this process 
it brings back that person, whether it's Okasan, um, sort of mother, the mother, because I remember like um, the daughter in the sequence, she's calling out. As soon as she sees her mum, she's calling out to, to the person suddenly. It connects the individual with the person and probably allows them to let go easier. It's not just like that. Well, that's, I was going to say that it's a, I think it's a really great, uh, that scene is a really kind of brilliant representation of how grief can work sometimes. Because like you said, when he when they arrive, he looks like quite sort of ill-tempered and impatient. But it's probably just the fact that he's struggling to deal with things. And he might be a person that deals with grief through anger. But I think the whole ritual and the ceremony, like you said, it's done it's done peacefully, it's done respectfully, and it's done very beautifully. And I think, you know, we see it, there's a few there's a few times this comes up through the film where at the start of the process, the people watching are still angry or sad or whatever whatever emotion they might be feeling. But by the end of it, there's a calmness to them and a kind of great, almost like a graciousness to them because the the actual ceremony itself and what the what what they what the two guys are doing um it, it's very respectful and it kind of it calms everything down and it just shows you know that this is just the way things are done and I, I just think that that scene is a really nice way of representing how how grief can make you feel but also when you um this whole ritual of encoffinment and preparing the deceased for their next journey actually it kind of brings a calmness um, to the whole situation and makes you kind of reassess things a little bit so yeah I think that's a really great scene and I found that scene incredibly moving um, and you kind of really see that the, the particularly the guy who's there when they first arrive you really see him go through this process of kind of trying to deal with things and I think that that process the ceremony itself really helps him with that. So one of the themes that keeps on coming up throughout the film um, is obviously this idea of shame and this job as being a no kanchi, um, whereas it's it's modern day um, Japan, there's still this idea of shame of doing this profession, and, and this is quite obvious where his best friend um, in or his, his childhood friend um, kind of disowns him in the street and, and walks away from him, and. Um, illustrated further when his own wife um decides to return to japan until he um gets you know what what would be deemed as like a real profession and um, she even um kind of recoils and disgusts when he tries to reach out to her um saying that he's like unclean and um and shouldn't he doesn't she doesn't want to touch him um so this is something that i think that me and nick we, we both like it, it was really kind of shocking to us that someone even in this kind of modern day can be kind of shunned in such a way and um, so maybe you could talk about some of the kind of cultural things in japan about this profession yeah so there are two things and like i said before we have two main religions in japan shintoism and buddhism and shintoism plays a lot importance on purity and it sees death as something impure so i don't know if it's the same in england but we use salt to purify ourselves after funeral so after we go to somewhere kind of like not pure something like for example if you go to um graves 
after that, we put salt on our body so we don't have anything impure on ourselves. And also, I don't know if you have seen sumo fighting. Sumo is Japanese national sports. And then before they fight on the sumo ring, they throw a lot of salt on the sumo ring. And that is to purify the ring. And also, if you visit Japanese Shintoism shrine, there's always where you can wash your hands before you go to the shrine. That is not only to like wash your hand, but is to purify your soul before you see the God. So that, that scene where wife said, washi, so in Japanese, kegarawashi means you are impure. And ke actually means energy. And garawashi is like, it's withered. So your energy is withered with something bad. And that's one thing. Um, the reason why it's, it's seen as something dirty or something not really good is because of the Shintoism way of thinking. But also, historically speaking, um, so in Edo period, so in Japan we have different kind of period, like history period, and 400 years ago it was called Edo period, and in that period, Samurai was ruling the country and in that era there was social class in Japan and at the bottom there was something called buraku and they were those people were basically discriminated big time in in the society they couldn't live in a normal place they couldn't have a normal job they couldn't get married to a normal person and they, they couldn't dress normal, normally like other people do. And the job related to death was done by those people. And that's why it's seen as something um, they don't respect. They didn't respect that kind of job and people who had that job. But I think after watching this movie, a lot of people changed their opinions on that job because it was so beautiful and so sacred. One thing uh, I noted um, on the Wikipedia was it mentioned that because of Japanese prejudices against um, those who handle the dead, distributors were actually re reluctant to release this film until it was a surprise grand prize win at the Montreal World Film Festival and then they gave it a national release. That's amazing. So, so this film was created and even the Japanese distributors didn't want to touch it, much like the, the, the job itself. And it, it was only through international recognition of it that it got its national distribution, became a massive hit. This is a really big film in Japan. And as you said, Miku, you know, potentially changed the way people saw this profession. I think that's uh, that's amazing. I, I agree. I think um, that makes a lot more sense now as well, because I think obviously myself, not being a Japanese speaker, as you might be able to tell, um, I think the translation for the subtitles, I think what you said there, Miki, is really important. And it's actually a point that's missed in the English translation with the subtitles, because the 
the point at which his wife kind of recoils from him and says, you're unclean. That was what the subtitle said in the, the English translation. But the fact that you describe it as kind of this impurity and your energy is withered, that makes a lot more sense. Um, and as to why she has the reaction she has. Um, and it's so interesting to know that that this comes from kind of historical perceptions of what that job is and what it means. And, I, and I, what I think the, the film does a really good job of is actually showing everyone that this process, this ritual, this job is actually a really important part of the deceased's journey. And it's nothing to be afraid of or to distance yourself from because it's actually a very beautiful part of the process. Um, but it's just so interesting to hear that as to where that's come from. And it makes a lot more sense now, because for me, when I watched the film and I saw his wife and his childhood friend almost distance himself from him, me not understanding where that came from, I sort of found that a bit strange because I was thinking, you know, we've just we've seen the, the first few scenes through the film and you kind of seen what a respectful, beautiful, kind of um, intimate process this is and part of the part of the ritual of saying goodbye to someone how can how can you how can that be shameful how can you want to distance yourself from that and then I put myself in the shoes of the other of the other characters in the film now knowing what you've just told me it kind of makes a lot of sense and what I think that the film does a really good job of is showing how those people having then seen what he does they realize it's nothing to be ashamed of it's actually a really important part of part of what part of you know, the journey that someone goes through when they die. Um, I think it's so, it's so fascinating. And I think it's, you know, I, I still found it, I still found the whole thing really moving. And I really enjoyed the journey that his wife goes through when she kind of, you see, she really comes to accept and actually be really proud of what he does. Um, so even not knowing the history of it, it still had a really profound effect on me. But I, I kind of makes a lot more sense now that you've explained that. Yeah, I thought the um, the casting of his wife and her as a character was was really important um because when when the, your wife is meant to be the person who's by your side through thick and thin right you know till death to till death do us part you know that's the um english adage and when even even her she disowns them you really realize the the weight of this and what he's going through going through and the fact that he's so proud um to be doing it as well the fact that he stands up for the profession um like weaker people would have caved at that point and done what his wife wanted him to do so yeah in, in a way like one thing i really admire about japanese people is the fact that it almost like if they say they're going to do something they do it and he he's a, a really good example of that and it's someone i really admire as a character um you know he gets phoned up in the middle of the night to do um i think someone's committed suicide or something and he goes out in the middle of the night it's it's not a case of ah uh, um turning your phone off it's not a case of ah uh, i can't do that i won't do that and um, which is very much like western culture like it, if a japanese person is doing a job they'll do it <laughs> and they'll do it to the best of their of their ability. I thought that his his performance in the film was great as well because what I thought was really good is that um and again it's kind of the journey we go on with him as the audience <clears throat> particularly people like me who who didn't really who who'd never really heard of this uh this ritual before is his first two jobs you've got the um you've got the the old lady that had been dead for a couple of weeks and that's really shocking to him and he's almost trying to kind of trying to 
not to throw up when they go to the scene. It was, it was shocking this... to me. It was shocking to me, and I, I, I think it's really clever the way they shoot that film, because like they don't show um the dead body, yeah, but the, the way that they show like the um dead you know the dead food um the um, rotten food and, and him the like the sound of the flies buzzing around as well yeah exactly like slipping on on um like the floorboards that he stands on something it, it creates that revulsion within yourself and and it, i think it does remind you that death is is disgusting or and de- death is kind of a little bit unpure yeah and, and i think you know because that's his first job and then his second job is he does the acting job for like the you know the trade video so we we, we kind of following him through his first few experiences of the job but we still don't know what the job really is because he goes through the first one is this really kind of shocking death that he's never come across before the second one is him playing the role of a dead person in a in a in essentially what's a commercial video so he's gone through these three days and he's and you can see that he's there he's there thinking what is this job what have i signed on for and we're there like agreeing with him because and then all of a sudden you get to the point where he does the first one and you can kind of see him go through the process of not really understanding what it is then being completely shocked by it and really struggling to stay with it. And then, as you say, when he gets into it, he realises the importance of what he does and kind of grows a real respect for it. And he, like you said, he defends the profession and he holds it, kind of stands his ground, even though his wife and people in society are kind of shaming him for it. He kind of understands the importance of what he's doing. And I think it's a really great kind of arc that he goes through. Um, Incidentally, um, the actor looked him up I think he was like in his mid forties when he made this. He's looking good for mid forties, man. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I thought he was like, I thought he was like late twenties, early thirties. Jeez, honestly, yeah, like Asian people. You just like uh, <laughs> I probably shouldn't say this. I mean, like only twenty people like listen to it anyway. But like, I feel like Asian people. There's like they all look like they're thirty until they don't, and then they look old. <laughs> <laughs> it's like they skip like like three generations um yeah so i always um, warned my friend harry um um that that one one day he might just like wake up and he's suddenly old and he said well it's fine i'll look 30 until i'm 60 so <laughs> he's quite happy with that <laughs> yeah but yeah no i i have to say i, I was um because I, I i sort of I don't know whether I've seen um, the lead actor in anything else. I might have just read, but he looked a, he looked a little bit familiar. But he's brilliant. I thought he was mm. great in the film. I, it's a shame. It's a I've, it's a shame I haven't seen him in more. I think I'm going to try and kind of seek out some of some of his work because I think he was brilliant in it. And I think he does such a good job of portraying that journey of kind of like um, not understanding, then being <laughs> a little bit put off, and then being yeah. confused, and then kind of coming to respect and love what he does and seeing its importance. Yeah, I thought it was brilliant. Um, and what a journey that he goes through. And I think as an audience, we go through with him. He's, he kind of plays that, like, if this film was done in the UK, I think like someone like Hugh Grant would have played him. You know, that kind of like composed person, but like kind of stuttering fool at the same time. <laughs> you know, I remember there's uh, one scene where I think um, Sacho kind of turns up by the, the river and beeps his horn and he kind of like um, falls over himself and it's really good like physical comedy and um yeah but there is, there is a really nice undertone of humor it's quite gentle humor but it's really it's done in a really it's done in a really um 
kind of respectful, appropriate way. Because like you said, the, the scene when he goes to see the first dead body and he kind of slips on the floor and he's trying not to throw up. And, and it's quite funny what he's going through, but you can understand why he's doing what he's doing. And obviously, as Miku referenced earlier, the very opening scene of the film, it's kind of very quiet and calm. And all of a sudden, there's there's a thing there. And it's quite funny the way that like his reaction to it. So there's these little elements of real... Um, quite dark but quite gentle humor throughout the film and i think it it balances that really really well because it's i mean i found the film really moving really sad at so many times but it's really it was really nice to have these moments of humor just to just remind us that sometimes whatever the situation is you can have a bit of lightness to it and it's not always kind of doom and gloom and i think that it did it, it warped that line incredibly well yeah it's it's almost like um to to bring it back to our title today it's almost that life in death um that the humor kind of brings that life in in a, a very you know what should be a sad situation but yeah it just lightens the mood and in regards to that that the title do you guys have any thoughts about that um how this film does teach us um that how life and death are both deeply connected when i was thinking about like you guys asked me what the title should be and i was thinking you know there are so many amazing things about this film like you said that no kanshi he connects their family and the deceased and in a deep way and that that is so beautiful and so sacred but personally the line the scene that hit me the most is when um, the cremator said that death, death is a gateway. And that, that sentence hit me the most personally. And that is because like I, I had an opportunity to think a lot about life and death. And I have an experience of losing someone very close to me. And it really made me think about think a lot about death and life and when he said that I think he he meant like it's not the end of everything it's the mm. you just go through the gate and it's almost like same as this title of the movie Okuribito like we are sending them to the other side to the bliss the land of the bliss or somewhere we don't know but for me, mm. like, it resonated me so much because, like, if we see death as a gateway, like, we are going to go through that one day. Like, we all going to go through that gate one day. And when I think about that, it makes me think about my life. You know, like, when you think about death or when you think about that gate. Like I, I reflect on how I'm living my life or what I really want to do with my life. So that's why I want the title, I want it titled to be Life and Death Are Deeply Connected. The idea of a gateway, it's almost like a, a door, right? You could see it as like a, a door shutting um, to this this world or it could be potentially a door opening to another world another opportunity interestingly um in a 1998 survey uh, found that 29.5 percent of the japanese population believed in an afterlife and a further 40 percent wanted to, to believe 
Um, Nick, do you believe in an afterlife? Well, the, I was going to say, actually, before I get onto that, I completely agree with Miku. I think that scene with the um, the cremator, that was... That was that was a brilliant scene, and I think the way he described things was really was really moving and really touching. And I, you know, I, I'm lucky in the sense that I haven't had anyone close to me. I haven't lost anyone close to me that you wouldn't expect to lose at some point, like I've lost my grandparents. Um, but you kind of expect that to happen because you know everyone loses their grandparents at some point. Um, but yeah, so when it comes to the whole idea of an afterlife, it's strange because. I'm not a religious person. Um, I would describe myself as, as an atheist or an agnostic atheist, I suppose, in the sense that I don't really believe in a God, but you, we can never really be sure. And I think it's one of those questions where, you, you know, people say, do you believe in life after death? And no one will ever know. And I think I've always landed on the side of I'm probably closer to not believing that there's life after death. But I think in a way that isn't necessarily a bad thing because... There's actually, um, to go a little bit off topic, have you seen the Ricky Gervais show Afterlife? Mm, yeah. So there's a scene in that where he talks to someone. Um, he's talking to someone about the idea of life after death. And she says to him, like, but if there's no life after death, then what's the point of everything? Surely nothing matters. And he said, no, it's the opposite. If there's no life after death, then everything matters because every moment is precious and everything, every minute you get on the planet is is special. So it's kind of this idea of if you don't believe in life after death, then life is that much more precious because it's so short. But I do like, I think the idea of a life after death is very comforting. And whether it's life after death or something else, I think this idea of it being a gateway is a really nice way of looking at it because it's a very comforting thing to say that death is not the end. Death is the end of your life on earth, but it's not the end of everything because it is just a gateway to something different. And no one will ever know what that different thing is because no one, no one alive has, has, has a chance to experience it. So I'm very much in the sense of I don't know. I don't necessarily believe in like the traditional like heaven and hell as in life after death, as in, you know, when you die, you go to heaven or you go to hell. But I don't, but I like the idea. I like the comfort of, of, of thinking that there's, there's something else afterwards, whatever that something might be whether it's the idea of reincarnation, coming back as another person or something or another living thing, whatever it might be, just the idea that it's death is just a part of life and it's just a gateway into the next step is a really comforting thing. And honestly, I don't know if I'll ever know what I believe either way, because how can you? But I just think it's a very, whichever way you look at it, it's all, it's all very life affirming in the sense that even if it's a gateway to something different, that still means that your, your time on in the life that you have now is precious and you should never ever forget that so let's talk salmon there's <laughs> <laughs> light, light in the mood after that <laughs> <laughs> so just um going back to the old man there's that scene where daigo is uh looking o- over the the edge of the the bridge and he's seeing salmon swim upstream and whilst this is happening he's seeing dead salmon fall downstream and um it's something that happens a lot apparently like um the the salmon they they will return to the place that they were born to is it to give birth to new eggs and then they die and then the the older man comes along and um 
he kind of says, oh, it doesn't seem worth it. And the the older man says, they want to come home, back to where they, they were born. Talk to me about that, guys. What's What's he saying? <laughs> I mean, I think that his belief um, with this death thing is that we are going back to the source, right? And a lot of like Japanese people, we there's a survey um, about death, about if we believe in um, religion in Japan, and actually sixty percent of Japanese people say that they are atheist. And thirty percent refers themselves to Buddhist. And even even though we say we are atheist, like we have some kind of belief after death. And I would say that I would say that a lot of people believe that there's afterlife. I mean, depends on the person, of course. But like culturally, we we do believe that there's something. After death, because we believe in Buddhism as well, and um, as Shintoism, we believe that we are gonna turn into some spirit that watch over our family as well. So either way, even either way, either if we are coming back here, reincarnate again, or we go to somewhere to watch over our family, we believe that there is something more. And I, I feel like that too. You get another opportunity, eh? And I think like opportunities in this film are kind of important. There's there's a subplot that kind of is thread threaded throughout the film, and um, this this subplot about his father, which um, we haven't spoken about, but I think is really important. And. Um, you know, when he says about the the fact that they want to come home back to where they were born, it's obviously something that Daigoro does. He comes back to the this the town or city that he was born, um, that he left. And just to kind of fill those of you who might not have seen the film, um, Daigo's father left his mother when he was young. There's this very important scene with um with a stone where they exchange stones, so um, the idea is young Daigo, as a child, he's to find a stone, and his father's to find a stone, and then they exchange these stones. Throughout the, the film, he's kind of really angry with his father still, and this is after, you know, many, many, many years. And I, I was really, like, when I was watching it the other day, I kind of latched upon something that his, his wife said, she says, I reckon your mum stayed in love with your dad. He he replies, no way. And she says, then she'd have thrown all of his records out, not looking after them so carefully. And she says this also whilst holding this stone that his father gave him all those years ago. And it's clear, for me, it's, it's a clear indication that there's still this love for his father. The fact that he's he's holding on to this stone that he could have thrown into the sea, you know, thrown into the river like years and years ago, but he's he's holding on to it still. And it's something that, that kind of comes full circle that in the end he's told that his father has has died, passed away, and he has to perform the ceremony for his father. And it's it's really quite emotional at the end because 
this is um, so someone who he's meant to hate, but he gives him all the respect and pride of the um, the ceremony that that he deserves. And yeah, it's 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 almost like the idea of reincarnation and forgiveness. I think. Well, I think I think what you said there is really important, and there's there's a, you know slight difference. So when he goes to see his father when after his father's died he's not there initially to do the ceremony but he steps in to make sure that it's done properly because as we said through the film he's he's learned the importance of what he does and he's come to really respect what he does as as a part of life um but when he when he initially goes to sort of identify his father's body or see his father the the two the two guys from a different company come in just kind of like are there to just throw him in the casket and take him away and he steps in and says no 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 this has got to be done properly and that for me was just a real signifier of the importance of what he does and how he's realised its place in kind of the ritual of death because obviously you know you mentioned he uh, he has moments in the um, early in the film which suggest that he still loves his father and cares for him you know there's a thing for example when he goes back to moves into the home that his mum left him he gets his um, his cello out when he was a child and we see him sit and play that piece of music and that's the same piece of music that he plays on the record player and says my father loved this piece and that's the first thing we see him play on his cello which obviously has a memory for him but yeah then we get to through to the end and all, all the way through he's telling he's saying what a bastard his father was because he left um but by the time we get to the end of the film when his father's ready to be taken away he won't let them until this until he's done this ritual properly because he again it kind of is it's that reminder that he he wants things to be done properly and he still respects and cares about his father and he kind of goes through this big journey and and i think the job that he does helps him get there at the end um so it's a really it's a really nice little subplot and i think actually the the film what the film does a really really good job of is kind of adding these subplots throughout the main story but they're not being invasive just being another part of the story which is very cleverly added in that we that and that, that gives us another emotional strand to kind of latch onto and it's like you said we've talked about the film quite a lot but i hadn't mentioned that bit until just now but it's a really significant part of of daigo's journey through the film but it's just really cleverly written into the written into the background as a subplot and it's such a nice little addition at the end and again that that scene is is absolutely heartbreaking it completely like brought me to tears at the end of the film and i kind of had to sit in silence at the end of it just for a little while to kind of compose myself it's a brilliant brilliant scene and you know the fact that um once once he's done all of that he opens up he tries to because one of the one of the um kind of almost movements of um that the um the, the job kind of entails is moving of the body right it's kind of like massaging of the limbs and so by doing that he he kind of has to grab his father's hands and then he realizes that in his hands is the small stone that he gave to um daigo and daigo gave to his father um many many years ago and it's just like heartbreaking isn't it because then you realize that actually the complexity of what happened between his mother, his father, and everything. There, there, there is probably a story there within itself. Life is difficult. Life is complex, but the fact that he still loved his father and his his father still loved him, it makes it all all the most more heartbreaking at the end that they didn't maybe 
get to spend that time together but at least they had the the last moments together yeah and i also love the fact that after he's done all the ceremony um he gave that so his wife was pregnant right and he gave that stone to a baby to to the belly like he gave that stone to the his child and i cried like a baby <laughs> in that scene <laughs> really 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 touching incidentally um something that miku told me off air um when she went to her grandfather's um funeral is um often when they're preparing the body and is, this is something that we do ourselves in, in the coffin right we'll put um things that they would maybe love in the coffin it's not not done all the time but in the case of uh, actually you probably tell this story maker i mean um so my when my grandpa was um sick and he he wanted smoke so much and the last thing he said to my dad was i want to smoke but my dad said no you can't smoke so when we said goodbye to our grandpa we surrounded his face with cigarettes <laughs> <laughs> i love that surrounded his face <laughs> really like it was i, I was that. crying so much you know saying thank you to my grandpa and then i remember so many memories but while like surrounding his face with cigarettes it was quite funny but you know <laughs> sad at the same time but you know like that that moment of saying goodbye is also like really important you know like because when someone dies it's really difficult to face the fact that they are gone and if we don't face that and we don't have time to say goodbye to someone who passed away we cannot really accept that you know we have to and that is something that daigo the no kanshi does it for us like they make that opportunity for us to say goodbye to those who are gone and once again that's why this job should be respected so much and i'm so glad that they made this movie because they changed the whole thing well i think what you said there is 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 lovely and i think there's also a scene in the film which sums it up as well because there's there's a period in the middle i think of the film or two, maybe two thirds of the way in where there's like a montage of after he's done the first one himself he kind of continues to do more and more and there's one there's one particular one which sounds a, a bit similar to what you just described Miku where there's um i think it's either a father or grandfather that's died and the either the i think it's wife and daughters and maybe even granddaughters are kissing him on the head with lipstick and they're kind of all laughing about it they're kind of joking with him and laughing with him but also crying at the same time and it that that for me sounds like what you just described in the sense that it gives you an opportunity to kind of think about those memories and and have a like a have a laugh with them one last time while you say goodbye so yeah it's you know even what you just said there there's a there's a scene in the film which kind of sums that up as well and i think there's all these kind of little elements through the film where it shows people how people grieve through anger through sadness through humor and it just shows that that whatever whichever way you handle grief whichever way you approach it this process this ceremony that the that that we go through with Daigo 
is really important, whichever way you look at it, because it allows you to kind of have some sort of catharsis and come to terms with what you're doing and, and actually say a proper goodbye. Yeah, so I think that's a really nice um, point to maybe stop today's po podcast. Um, unless any of you guys have anything else you wanted to say about the film? Um, yeah, so the last thing I just wanted to say about the film um, was just to give a shout out to the music because I think the music for this film is stunning. I mean, I, I'm, a bit, I'm a big fan of movie music. I always, look, I always look at the film scores and kind of, they always, they always jump out to me. And uh, I'm, I'm not sure if you guys know, but um, Beck, my, my wife is a cellist. Uh, she hasn't played for a long time, but she used to play in orchestras and stuff. So I've always really enjoyed cello music. And I think the music for this film is amazing. Um, and again, once the film finished, I straight away added, added the soundtrack to my, uh, to my, my Apple Music playlist. And the, the song that he um, plays on the, the record player that his father used to write, the one he plays on his cello, oh, it's just beautiful. I absolutely love it. And it, I, I just think the music for the film, is it, it fits in with the story so well. So I just wanted to give a, a shout out. I think, uh, I forget the composer's name. It's Joe Shiro or something like that. I've probably got that wrong. But um, I think he, looking him up, he did a lot of the uh, music for the Studio Ghibli films, which is always amazing. Joe and really fantastic. He... What's his name? Joe Hisaishi. Yeah, he he is incredible. So he's he's done majority of the music for the Ghibli films. And uh, how, do you know him, Maker? He's really really famous. Yeah, because we love yeah. Ghibli movies so much. Oh, he's so good. There's this um, there's this concert he did at one of the large um, stadiums in Japan. Um, where he does all the um, Ghibli music and he has like kind of guests come on and sing sing some of the songs so amazing um, really really talented man he's, he's like the um, Han, um, the Japanese Hans Zimmer or something yeah but uh, yeah exactly and, I, and I, th I would this is the sort of thing I would love to go to a concert to, 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 to listen to all that stuff because you know I, I haven't seen all the studio yeah, I say Studio Ghibli is it Studio Ghibli yeah, yeah. I'm not sure I'm pronouncing it right. So I haven't seen all the Studio Ghibli films, but I've seen a fair few of them, and I always love the music from them. The music's like so fantastical, and it kind of sums it. But the music for this as well is so touching and so moving, and it's um, yeah, it's beautifully woven throughout the film. Um, yeah, so I just wanted to give a shout out to that because I think it's it's it adds a real layer of emotion to the film, and I think whenever I whenever I hear the music um, and the songs in the film, it it will just kind of and make me kind of go back to when I first watched it. I just think it's a it's a brilliant piece of score. So I just wanted to make sure that gets a mention. Just to mention about the whole cello thing, the film poster is is him kind of playing his cello in a, um, a kind of countryside scene in Japan. So when I initially saw this film and saw like the, the kind of DVD cover for it, I was not interested in seeing this film. <laughs> and it just goes to show you can't judge a, a DVD by its cover. <laughs> well, I, I thought I thought the um, I think the cello is is a really nice um, what's the word? A really nice analogy for how he feels about um, the job he does because obviously the start of the film he he's a cellist in an orchestra and we learn very quickly that the orchestra is disbanded because the audiences num audience numbers aren't there etc. And he kind of has to sell this really expensive cello. Um, and I think, you know, as a musician, if you have to give up what you love, it would be very hard to kind of say goodbye to that. But I think what's really nice is 
when he moves back into the home that he moved into, that he lived in when he was a child, he gets his child out, his, the cello he had when he was a child, the really small one. And there's a really nice shot when you see the little marks in the floorboards where he used to sit and play. Hmm. And he puts the cello back into one of those same marks and played the cello. But through, obviously, as the film progresses, you see that montage of him playing the cello in that really like almost like fantasy sequence where he's sitting in front of the mountains playing the cello. For me, that was a bit like this job has sort of re-inspired him because the the cello is what he loves and what he's done for, you know, what he's been trying to do as a career, his adult life, clearly. And he takes a step back from that when the, when the orchestra disbands and you don't see him playing as much, but then he kind of gets re-inspired by what he does to play the cello again. And I think that's why, for me, that's why the scene of him playing the cello was woven in through that montage of all the ceremonies and rituals he's doing. Because it feels like he's almost like his life is reaffirmed and he feels re-inspired to go back and do the things he loves because he's learned to appreciate the importance of life and, and, and his part he plays in it. So I thought the the cello the cello was a really nice like visual representation of his inspiration almost. Um, I think it works really well musically. I think it works really well visually. Um, Just to, and again, a nice little thing that's woven in, the subplot of him um, having to kind of give up what he loves, but then kind of re-falling in love with it again through the inspiration he gets from his his job that he's kind of learning, is learning the importance of. Just again, a brilliant little bit that's added in throughout the film. Yeah, it's it's multi-layered, isn't it? Um, so, so I think um, that's a good point to to end today's podcast, and um, probably nice to say thank you for um, for Mika for coming onto the podcast and yeah, delighting us with your your knowledge and um, your your funny stories, um, particularly about your, your grandfather <laughs> and the cigarettes. <laughs> um, um. I think yeah, this is also having the chance to talk to you, Miku, is is made me appreciate the film even more because I feel like I understand it more because of you've given us some you've you've taught us about like the traditions and where the where some of the history comes from. So thank you so much. I think you've made my appreciation of the film even deeper. Oh, thank you so much. I I had so much fun and I I'm so glad that I could share it with you and hear your thoughts on it. I want to watch it again soon. <laughs> me too. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Okay, so um, so next next on on the podcast, Nick. So next episode uh, was one another one of your choices, Andrew. Um, a uh, Scandinavian documentary, I believe, called "The Painter and the Thief." Uh, this is another one that I haven't seen yet, so I'm looking forward. With you choosing some great choices because it's given me opportunity to watch things I haven't seen before. So yeah, "The Painter and the Thief." Uh, do tell what 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 are we going to be talking about? Again, this is a film that I've seen. Nick hasn't, um, but it's a documentary. And I thought it would be nice to do a range of things on this on this podcast. So this particular documentary is about two characters, a painter and a thief. And the lesson is it's 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 a bit of an easy one. It's um, don't judge a book by its cover. But honestly, this is an absolute showstopper of a documentary that works so well and little story about it i went along there with my um housemate and she was like yeah let's go and see that so we we started to watch it and we watched the whole film and we came out of the the um the cinema and we were like wow that was amazing that was great wow you know we were talking about it all the way home about the themes and, and stuff like that next day um she she said she she admitted something to me she she said, "Ah, oh, so so I googled the film. I didn't realize it was a documentary." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, 
you, when you watch this film, <laughs> that 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 will that that story will kind of um, have a life of its own because um, it's it's almost so perfect this documentary, and so Hollywood in scope almost it could be a film. Um, so I'm really really looking forward to you watching this, um, Nick, and um, really looking forward to to talking about it times yeah it should be it should be a good one um so we'll be doing we'll be discussing that next week um so i guess that just leaves us to say well first of all again a big thank you to miku for joining us and while you're here miku why don't you just remind us everyone where they can find you on on um youtube and where i can find your japanese lessons etc for anyone interested in in find out a bit more okay so my channel youtube channel's name is miku real japanese and you, you can also uh, find me on Instagram as well, and I'm sharing Japanese culture and also Japanese language. So if you are interested in learning Japanese, please check it out. Thank you. You definitely <laughs> should be interested. It's thank awesome. you. Um, and to everyone that's listened, as always, thank you very much. We really appreciate it. Any likes, shares, subscriptions, rates, reviews, etc., are very much appreciated to help us grow the podcast. Um, and as always, thank you to Andrew. And thank you, Nick. And thank you, Miku. And thank you, everyone. <laughs> and uh, we shall catch you on the next one. Bye-bye. Awesome. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.